So I'm excited to, to be here tonight, partially because in my own personal life, there has, I, I come, well, let me, let me back up. So I'm a, I'm a therapist, I'm in private practice, and there's a lot of things that come up when I'm meeting with my clients in sessions or running groups, and I can't always go to the final end that I want to talk about. And that's because that's more personal for, for me, right? It's not my work, it's their work. I'm joining them in that. And so tonight is this opportunity where I get to speak about two things that are personal to me and two things in my life that have incredible significance, and that's addiction and faith. And so the, the addiction piece, um, from a personal level, I come from a long, a long line of, of addicts. Uh, there's really not anyone in my family history who's not, if I think about it. Maybe some aunts and uncles, but both grandparents, both sides, my parents, everyone, everyone I can kind of think of in, in the line. And so there's a saturation within my family history and story around addiction, but no one really actually talks about it. It's just there. So-and-so died of liver failure and so-and-so this, and, and now these people are sober. And that's about as far as it goes. So tonight, it's to be able to talk more about it in depth from my own personal perspective is, is really, uh, it's, it's a great, it's exciting. Actually, I'm very excited to talk about it. So we're going to do an exercise to get started. So everyone has a pen. Everyone hold up your pen. Okay, everyone has a piece of paper. Yes, your white piece of paper. They're on one side. They go for the first side, and it says addiction. And it goes, we're going to do a somatic exercise, right? We're going to not just talk about addiction. We're going to begin to play with it. We're going to. So here's, here's your challenge. This is a... A, this is not to be overly thought. You are going to have two minutes to do that whole page of addiction. And so whatever comes to mind, your first thought, your first word, your first whatever, I want you to put it down. And I know you don't have solid writing surfaces, but you are going to be the only one that reads it. So just make sure you can, well, unless you're at this fancy table and here and there, yes. Garrett, you win. You're like the winner table right over here. Okay. Oh, and, and Lauren has one too. Okay. But what you're going to, and so you just need to be, read your own handwriting on your market set. Go. Okay. So no matter where you are in that, that's, that's fine. Now flip it over. And same thing, first thing that comes to mind, and go. So I run, I run uh, different groups um, at my uh, therapy practice, and uh, we do this exercise. This actually is taken from some of the Brene Brown work that I do, um, and we use it for shame. And we have, we have people personify or, or go through this experience with shame. And we give everyone a whiteboard. 
and and we say, okay, if if you know if when I think of shame, I think of, and everyone writes down a word, and then we go one, two, three, and we t- all turn it over together, and it's hilarious. <laughs> I can't tell you how many people think that shame smells like farts. I mean, <laughs> it, every single time, multiple, that that comes up. So offensive? Yeah, I'm so sorry. Um, okay, so what we're going to do now, I'm going to bring up my lovely assistant. Yes. Yes. Okay. And we're going to shout out. So as we, as we, go, as we go through it, when I hear the word addiction, I think of, shout it out, and Nick's going to write them up there. Drugs. Drugs. Selfish. Compulsion. Pain. Compulsion. Say again? Overtaking. Overtakes. Overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. Hopelessness. Personality. Personality. Wiring. Wiring. A hook. A hook. Negative. Suffering. Suffering. Disease. Okay. Color. Red. 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 Green. Black. Gray. Not just any black. Like a purplish black. What'd you say? Black. Okay. Taste. Dinner. Dinner. Bitter. 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 Okay. Bitter. I was like, uh, yeah. Sour. Chalky. Bitter. Sour. Sour. Ash. Sweet. Sweet. Fine wine. Fine wine. Stomach bile. Stomach bile. Slime. Slime. Plaque. Opaque. Opaque. Cake. 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 Gooseberry pie. Gooseberry pie. <laughs> right? Because, well, when you think of a day, so, you, you know, right. There's, it's an addiction. Addi- we're talking about addiction. There can be a lot of different, there's, there's a lot of different people's experiences. If you're in it, out it, out, whatever it might be. All right. Moving on. I'll put that up. I got it. Yuri. Okay, next one. Shout it out. What is it? Smell. Putrid, rotten fish, sulfur. Syrup. Syrup. Beer. Fear. Bleach and hold beer together, right? Touch. Silky. Rough. Raw. Rough. Rough. Prickly. Prickly. Slime. Hot stove. What was the other one? Broken glass. Jello mold. Yeah, exactly. It's whatever comes. I wrote the same thing down. Yeah. 
sandy, elusive, slippery, but rough. I feel addiction in my, on my, where in your body? Stomach. Mind? Mind, yeah. Feelings. Feelings. Soul? Right. Jaw? Uh huh. Jaw, heart? Flabby. Lazy. Okay, symptoms? Numbness. Impulsive. Out of control. Anger. Anxiety. Compulsiveness. Repetitive. Hurt. All right. Moving on. I know I am addicted when I feel, when I feel lost, lost. out of control, anxious, Anxious. disconnected, unrelieved and anxious, anxious. relieved and anxious, engaged. Not enough important things to do. Lonely. When I talk about addiction, I feel shameful, shameful. stuck, stuck. Helpless. helpless, ashamed, undisciplined, guilty, awkward, high, stuck. stuck. Embarrassed, connected, connected. Better. better, I can talk about addiction with family, anyone I don't know, anyone I don't know, <laughs> That's so good. That's so true. there you go. That's so true. Strangers, right? People I feel safe with. Yeah. Other people that are addicted. Other people that are addicted. My mom. My mom. All right. Faith. Word. Persuasion. Persuasion. Oh, I don't want to block you. Yeah, I'll put it over here. Knowing what we imagine will come true. Knowing what we imagine will come true. It's the word for faith. Solid, elusive. Like what? Yeah. Hope, relief, belief, belief. Belief. freedom, Freedom. Culture. culture. Peace. Peace. Resilience. Resilience. Color. 
If faith were a color, what would it be? White, gold, blue, yellow, light blue, all colors, rainbow, pink, taste. If I could taste faith, it would taste like metallic, croissants. <laughs> Butter, <laughs> apples, sweet. sweet, crab legs and butter. Who is that? Crab legs and butter. Crab legs and butter. <laughs> Lemonade. Lemonade. Okay. If I could touch faith, it would feel like silk, soap, solid. A hug. Touch. Yeah. Smooth. Smooth. Cotton. Okay. Then you guys know where this is going, right? Then you know what, what we're. So shout it out. You see it. I feel when I when I I feel faith in on my. Heart. Oh. What about nowhere? Too, right? Um, but just throwing it out there. <laughs> In worship. In worship. Obedient. Obedient. Symptoms. How do you, what, what does faith look like? What are the symptoms? How do you know that you are, someone is, faithful? Convicted, we're assured. Convicted, assured, strong. Serenity. Serenity. Overwhelming sadness and joy. Overwhelming sadness and joy. Okay. I know I feel faithful when I feel... Mm-hmm. Devoted to God and loyal. When I feel like good things are happening. I feel like good things are happening. Friends are controlled. Mm-hmm. Obedient. Obedient. Submission. Submission. Okay. And yeah, and some of those are those are both. Yeah. We kind of did both of those. All right. Last one. When I talk about faith, I feel and there's there's no there's no right answers in this. Confused. This is confused. Very good. Awkward. Awkward. Gaining clarity, secure. Gaining clarity and secure. Positive. Upbeat. Positive. 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 She you know it's coming. Anxious. Anxious. Small. Small. Comforted. Comforted. Sober. Sober. I can talk about faith with believers. Anyone. Anyone. My spouse. My son. My son. Open-hearted people. Open-hearted people. Okay. So I set up I set up this exercise kind of specifically. Thank you. 
There you go. You're a quick, quick writer. Here, we'll put this one up too. All right. So, how, what was that exercise like for people? Clearing. Clearing, okay. Thought provoking. Mindful, yeah. So there's, there's a way that, you know, addiction, we can see symptoms of addiction. We can see symptoms of it, and we can see symptoms or, or things of faith, but we can't really actually play with it. Can't really actually touch it. And so giving it some body, giving it some somatic experience. And, you know, the main... <laughs> The main reason why people don't quit addictive behaviors that are bad for them is not because the drug is so powerful. I believe it's actually because of something else entirely. It's why people don't quit or change, right? Or, but that's not what's been told to us for, for generations. I was raised as a child of the, of the 80s, right? And so my mind was filled with a handful of key images that began to shape my beliefs and understanding about drugs and addiction. So there was the egg, right? Yeah, right? This is an egg, right? This is your brain. It's an egg. And this is your brain on drugs, and it's in a frying pan, right? And then there was another, there was another popular uh, ad that was about the rats. You guys know what I'm talking about with the rats? You hear about this? So there was a rat. They put a rat alone in a cage, and they gave it two things of water, regular just water, and then water that was laced with heroin or cocaine. And the rat became, went back and back again and again and again to the, to the water that was laced with the cocaine or heroin until it died, until it killed itself. And so, you know, I, I'm not saying that, that drugs aren't horribly destructive and, and dangerous and can wreak havoc in our, in our lives and the lives of other people, but... You know, I, I really challenge what we're actually to believe about what the source of addiction actually is and what is the antidote for addiction. I believe the source of addiction is not actually the power of the drug. And I also believe, and I see this every day with my clients in my counseling practice, that the antidote is not sobriety in itself. Sobriety is and can be a result of the antidote, but I believe that the antidote is actually something much more powerful than that. Much more powerful than abstaining, much more powerful than willpower, or simply knowing and experiencing the negative effects of what addiction or the substance itself can be. The truth is what we often think is the thing is not actually the thing, it's something else, right? So what keeps a smoker smoking? What keeps a drinker drinking? What keeps an anorexic restricting or an overeater eating? Or you, everyone here. What keeps you doing that which you do not want to do? 
and you know it's not good for you. What is that thing? What is that thing you can't stop? That thing you feel really bad about doing, but you keep going back to it. You don't want to. Well, sometimes you actually do want to, but you know you shouldn't, and you don't actually want to keep using it or doing it, but, but somehow you just can't make the change that you want to make. Something gets in the way. Every time. Well, mostly every time. Right? Some weeks are better than others. Some weeks we have, right, have like a really good week. And we, like, we, we, we kind of look at ourselves and we're like, I, I, did really, I did well this week. But, and we realize we haven't engaged in that familiar pattern that comes in and out of our lives that, that we really don't want. And this is the reality the reality that we all struggle with, that change is hard. And the honest, unfiltered truth is that we are all addicted to something. All of us. No matter what. And there are varying levels of compulsion, frequency, intensity, and the use and the effects and the impact of that that one thing, the substance or behavior on our lives. What is addiction? How how can I say that? What's my basis of saying that we're all addicted? Well, think about what you've tried to quit or stop or change and what makes it hard. And I, I would say that it's our reach. It's what we reach for. When we don't know what to do, we're feeling lost or we're feeling lonely or we have negative emotions or, or things come up, that arise, we reach for something. So remember when I said that it's not the, thing, the drug or the thing that keeps us engaged in behaviors that we know bring despair and destruction to our lives and the lives of those around us? And that it's not the drug or even the high that's there that keeps us engaged and going towards what our reach is. And I would suggest that it's something else, that it's fear. It's the fear of going without. So whatever it might be in your life, we all have a fear of going without. And if, you, if you're not sure if, if you have addiction or you have an addictive pattern in your life, think about what you fear going without or what you have gone without. Is it a relationship? Is it approval? Is it money, success? Is it keeping everything peaceful no matter what the cost? It's a pattern. What what is engaging in a pattern and a process with those around you that you know has the potential to ruin your life and others, but you just can't imagine what it would feel like to do it differently. You can't imagine what it would feel like then to sit in all of that pain and that uncertainty and the potential for pain and discomfort and not reach for that thing, that pattern that would just make it better, that, that, that would make life easier, that would make it comfortable. It's what feels safe. It's what's known. It's what you can expect, even if it's not really what you want you know what you are getting, even if it's not what you want. 
and I can just say it, it feels a hell of a lot better than sitting back and, and being in that space of not getting what you know you want and what feels okay. The alternative often feels like too much. It feels scary. We have to imagine our lives without the reach. Time after time after time, our brain and our bodies, what they want is a predictable pattern and outcome. Instead of having to sit and endure uncertainty and the potential that you might experience discomfort or even suffering or loss. Addiction is not about one thing, the substance, the drug. It's about what we can count on and what we can predict. It's a pattern and a process in which we avoid discomfort, uncertainty, suffering, negative and uncomfortable emotions. It is not about the choice to use or not use the thing that we reach for. It's about the process. All addictions are process addictions. It's not one, it, it's a process. And, and the, the thing that just blows my mind is, is our, our brains actually work, it can shift and change, but our brains actually work with us and against us. Because how our brains work is first we have a cue, we have a trigger, whatever that might be in your life. And that can be anything for all of us. And after that trigger, then we have a response, we have a, we have a reach, we have something we do, and then we have a reward. And we do that time and time again, and it creates a pattern. And all our brain wants is a pattern. It wants certainty. It wants predictability. It wants to know what it's going to get. And so what begins to happen in our brains, and there's a couple of, uh, a great book is The Power of Habit explains this really well. What happens is, so if you have a cue, a trigger, and then you have a reward, and you have a pattern that's connected to that, eventually what, what begins to happen is, here's the cue, well, actually here's our pattern, and here's our reward, it moves back. The, our brains actually begin to give us a dopamine burst of reward when we engage in the pattern, even if we don't get to the reward because it anticipates it, it wants predictability. So our reward cue, our dopamine burst, gets moved right up to cue, trigger, do just one little part of your pattern, one little aspect of maybe setting up what your reach is, big reward from your brain, big dopamine burst. So when we try to break that pattern, what happens in our brains is it doesn't know what to do. We feel lost. We feel alone. We feel depression. We feel all of these things are going to come up when we don't engage in the pattern. So it's the process of then sitting in that uncertainty. So when we talk about faith, right, where does, where does faith come in? We look at the words that we use to describe addiction, right? We have, a, we have bitter, we have, all, all, you can look around the room and, and maybe you can read Nick's handwriting, maybe you can't, <laughs> but that's okay. Cursive really botched it. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's great. I, I was just thinking it was, you know, it's yeah. great. But when you think about faith, there's some, it's, is fa- I, I, I don't know. For me, I don't really see faith as an end. I see faith as a process as well. Right? And so, just as addiction 
is a process. I believe faith, faith is a process as well. And not only faith it mirrors an altogether yet similar pattern and process to addiction. And it yields actually the true antidote to addiction. And dare I say what I think is potentially the cure for addiction. Connection. A connection to that which is bigger and more all-encompassing for all of us than we can imagine. Because of this pattern, this process of faith, it it inherently embraces uncertainty. It inherently embraces pain and suffering and doubt, and it brings hope for what is already present and still is yet to come. It's the kingdom here on earth and not yet fully seen or manifest. Sounds like, again, that space, right? In between of having to sit in something when you want to reach, but you can't, you shouldn't, you don't want to, you want to be different. It is what we hope for in light of what we know, and it's also that which we do not know or understand. It is the in-between. It is actually the reach that we have that can bring and gives life. And in that truth, for me, it actually has some meat on its bones then. When I think of faith in that, in that way, it, it feels meaty. It feels solid, but yet at the same time, not certain. But that feels good that it's not certain in that moment, that it's a thing's hoped for but not yet already. When I reflect on why I'm a person of faith, it comes down to one central thing, and that's incarnation. That's word made flesh. But what astounds me and makes me profoundly, proudly exclaim that I'm a follower of Jesus is not his power. It's not that he is God incarnate. It's not that he even came down to earth among us in this creation and dwelt like us and looked like us and took on flesh and humanness. It's, it's, not, it's not that that draws me into my faith and makes me proud to be a follower of Jesus. What it, what it is for me is that he willingly entered into and chose discomfort, that Jesus willingly, that God willingly entered into and chose discomfort time and time and time again, that Jesus went into the desert and he was tempted for 40 days to turn this bread, the stone into a bread, and he said no. He was tempted with power and all of these things and all, all of the, the midst of what was not seen. And he said, no, he in, endured, he experienced the discomfort. When he was tempted, he did not choose it. He did not use his reach and, the, and the, his power for comfort. Instead, he went without. That fear of going without, he went without. To the point of death. God became flesh fully inhuman and suffered to the point of death. He did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. With the power of creation at his disposal, he did not choose what was certain or what was easy or what was comfortable or clear. He chose to feel pain and doubt and betrayal and loneliness. He endured false accusations without even saying a word in response. But why? I mean, why, why, why would Jesus need, need, need to do that? Why, why, what, what's, the, what's really the, the point? 
of that. If it was simply just for atonement, for the forgiveness of, of sins, for, for an atoning death, that a sacrifice needed to be made to atone for, for sin, why the suffering? Why, why all those pieces? The debt could have been paid without him suffering. And the answer to that question for me is the most compelling reason of why I'm a follower of Jesus. It's because God, it's because God loves us. God loves humanity. It goes far beyond sin and the fall and the curses. God desires true, honest, authentic, gritty, messy relationship with us that's based on understanding and connection. That is why to create a space for the, most tr- the truest form of connection, attachment, a felt sense of love and belonging, God feels with us and has compassion and empathy for God's creation. God became flesh and dwelt among us. Our bodies are important. Our thoughts are important. Our feelings are important. All of them, even the hard and the painful things. Why did God suffer and die? Because when faced with, when faced with going without and going without what we reach for to find certainty, predictability, and comfort, when we are faced with that, we know that we are indeed then not alone. He went without for our sake. In our darkest moments, when we're experiencing that doubt and uncertainty and discomfort and pain and loneliness and all of these descriptions, all of these pieces, all of these tastes and colors and feels, it's a full contact sport, addiction and faith. There's no, no getting around it. That we have, so we have someone who can be with us in the midst of it and say, I get it. I've been there. I know what it's like to feel and to feel that. And he says in those, those moments, I can't make it easier I might not be able to make it easier. I might not be able to take it away. But what I can do is I can say that I see you and I felt the pain. And that even though my, my favorite verse, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is a two-word two verse. I think it's the shortest verse in the Bible. Does anyone know what the shortest verse in the New Testament is? Jesus wept, Right? That he showed up and Lazarus has been de- is dead and everyone's crying because Lazarus is dead. His whole family is crying because he's dead. And Jesus weeps. And he weeps just because he feels and he understands. Renee Brown describes it as, she thought faith would take the pain away, that it'd be like a panacea, but it was more like a, like a midwife who stood there saying, push, it should hurt a little bit. And you're not alone. And it was enough. And it's enough. It's just enough in the midst of that to make what seems uncertain feel real and comfortable. It's the companionship. 
And so in thinking about what that looks like or feels for people here, anything kind of with, with the discussion, anything that's, that's come up in particular around it that, that you sense? Yeah. Oh, wait, or questions, yeah. Or questions. Why you that would be I mean I think that would be great. I'll take that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is our reach. Yeah, it can be. I think so faith is 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 in the midst of the the reach and the uncertainty and it's the the present that's there. Like the present, I'm not like as in a gift, but the presence that's there. But it can't be. But it could be. It could be an addiction. If, if it's for your own kind of approval or, or for, for me in my early part of my Christian faith, my, my faith was a big trophy that I liked to carry around and wanted everyone to see that I was a really good Christian. Look here. Look at my shiny trophy. I'm a really big Christian. And that, that was, a, pro, that was an, a process addiction for me, but that wasn't as genuine for me. Does that make sense? Kind of. But it can be. You, you can be. It's not, not, not a bad thing. Yeah. I think the verse that just kept coming to mind as you were talking was how Jesus says he, he wants to share our yoke with us. And he says, my burden is light. He's not saying I'm not, you know, not going to take all your burdens away. You're not going to just, I'm not just going to give, automatically give you victory on everything but I'm going to come alongside you and share it with you. Right. And that's kind of what I hear you saying, which is really a good thought. I mean, it's really a good, good thought. Right. Sometimes we want it fixed, and maybe we need to look for it to be shared. Yeah. I don't think there's any way to work through any amount of addiction without having to be in a very difficult, uncertain, painful, and hard place. And to know that there's presence in the midst of that, of a, of a Savior, of God who has experienced that. For me, I find incredibly comforting and what draws my faith. Well, I think, Mary, it also helps if, to get rid of the shame, right? So if... God is a God who understands that and is with you in that, then you don't need to hide that. You don't need to feel ashamed of the fact that you're addicted just like everyone else is. Um, that you feel pain just like God did. So that if, and when you eliminate the shame, that takes a whole lot less power away. Right. Brings, brings connection. Absolutely. <laughs> well, yeah, you were saying it when, when we talk about it. It, it crippling. crippling, yeah. It makes you, it makes you uh, unable to uh, hope, feel worse about yourself when Christ already felt that pain and hopelessness and shame. Yeah. I think shame is like such a big container on stuff, and it isolates you a lot. Mm-hmm. Why that you believe and shame kind of feeds on itself, and you just 
sit in it alone mm-hmm. on phases, mm-hmm. including when like I mm-hmm. strongly believe like it's just the community is like absolutely yeah. Shame feeds on silence, secrecy, and judgment. It grows exponentially. And the antidotes are, are empathy and self-compassion. And, and that brings the sense of, of connection, that felt sense of love and belonging to know that we're not alone. And what we've experienced, we haven't experienced alone. Silence, secrecy, and judgment. And we can do that all by ourselves. We can judge ourselves. We can not talk about it. But empathy and self-compassion are, are, the, are the antidotes to, to shame. Shame cannot survive being spoken. I like the word you used earlier. You said message. That you viewed God in your life as willing to have a messy relationship with you, and I like that. I really do, because um, that is really, we really are messy, and it's really (laughs) important that we feel like somebody wants to share this messy relationship, uh, you know, and I I think a lot of times that's our mistake. We, We view God as, well, I better put on my perfect self today, because he is holy, but I mean, at the same time, he's so aware of who we are, but he wants yeah. that relationship anyway. Yeah, that, that's that incarnation piece that just gets me every time. That it's the uh, holy God that then became flesh and dwelt among us for us to know that the expectation is not perfection from us. The expectation is relationship of belonging and it's about belonging, how we create belonging. He, we love because he first loved us. Anything else in particular about how that connects to addiction or faith? I mean, I don't think it's a small thing that when you look at any, any 12-step program, the very first part, right, is about that element of surrender to that which is greater and bigger. But 12 steps aren't for, they can have, you know, everyone walks their own, their own path. So in my journey um, to achieving sobriety, yes. um, my, 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 um, the way I looked at God um, changed completely from... Mm-hmm. Um, something that didn't prevent bad things from happening, right? Um, which I used to justify the way I felt and, you know, all right. this stuff. Um, to um, a power that helps me and gives me strength yeah. to get through the things that happen in life. Right. And so um, I've never really thought about the part you said about Jesus, you know, the 40 days in the wilderness, mm-hmm. and of course, you know, being on the cross, and, but, but having really the ability to stop that if he, if he you know, wanted to. Right. right. Um, but still suffering through all of that, um, that's kind of a, a neat thing to think about. Um, 
lot of times, you know, recovery is not easy. No, <laughs> it is not. Um, knowing that, um, that kind of helps strengthen that, the way I view that um, yeah. a little bit more, because God does know exactly what um, I'm going through. Right, or, that, or, or have right, right, yeah. That how hard it is to go without, mm -hmm. that fear of going without, that, that fear of what, what it might be, that it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a theologian, but it doesn't seem like it was an essential piece of, like, the contract of, like, you know, I learned there's, like, a cliff over here and a cliff over here, and to get to this side of the cliff, you have to know Jesus, who's going to be this bridge, that's so going to bridge, bridge the gap, and that's going to, like, get you to heaven, and, and, like, that's great. I mean, I'm saying that that's wonderful, that there is that, like, atonement and those pieces. But in my day-to-day -day life, knowing that actually there's, the, the, it's not necessarily, maybe not a bridge, but it's like I'm going to walk with you the whole way down and the whole way up and then down and then up, for me, holds so much more significance. Thank you so much, Samaria. You're welcome. Yeah. You're welcome.